when I was in school, I rode the school bus as most people do, and uh, what I would do, I would leave the house, I'd walk down to the corner, and I'd stand outside on the corner waiting for the school bus to come pick me up. And I think that's a, a pretty normal experience with most kids. Uh, but what I saw when I was on the bus was that there were some kids that because of where they lived, they didn't really have a corner that they could go walk to easily. And so they would actually get picked up right in front of their house. Now these kids, they would tell me that technically they were supposed to stand outside their house and they were supposed to wait uh, for the bus on the porch or in the yard, you know, outside. But when it was cold, they would just stand inside their house and wait. They'd watch through the window from outside. They'd see the bus coming and then they'd step outside their house and walk, get right on. And I remember us other kids, we would kind of look on them with envy because, you know, we had just waited outside in the cold for about 15, 20 minutes and they had been in their house warm the whole time. It seemed like they had the best bus stop, except the weird thing was we started to notice that it was these kids that missed the bus more than other kids. And at first, I didn't get it. I mean, how can you miss a bus when you don't even have to walk down to a bus stop? You know, it pulled right up to your front door. How do you miss it? But the thing is, standing inside their house, they would get distracted. They'd be inside waiting for the bus, but they'd think about something in their room they wanted to go grab, and then so they'd go off to their room, or they'd get distracted by the cartoons on TV, or they would run and try to use the bathroom or whatever it was, it would get them away from actually watching at the door, at the window, and they would miss when the bus came because they were distracted. The problem wasn't with the bus or with the bus stop. It was that the kids didn't keep watch like they were supposed to. They missed the bus because they didn't stay alert. Now this morning we're going to be talking about keeping watch and staying alert. We're going to be looking at Mark 13. Jesus is going to give us this command again and again. We're going to use different phrases. Keep watch, be on guard, stay awake. But they all have the same idea of staying alert. When the New Testament commands us to watch, it's uh, translating Greek words that literally means stay awake, be sleepless. That's not a physical warning. God isn't trying to tell us never sleep physically. No, no. These are meant metaphorically. There, there's a saying today. It's very popular. Stay woke. Some of you probably know this. Maybe some of you even say it. But it, it has the same idea of being awake, being alert to what is going on. And so when Jesus says stay awake, he's not talking about physically don't sleep and take notice. He's saying be on your guard. Be aware of what's going on. Be alert. Stay focused. Now, those kids from my story they were supposed to stay on watch and be alert looking for the bus right but what are we supposed to be staying aware about what is jesus telling us to be looking out for we're going to be answering that question this morning and to do that we're going to be looking at mark chapter 13 uh, we're focusing in mark 13 because jesus there gives us multiple commands for us to stay aware be on guard, keep watch, and again, all those things basically kind of mean the same thing. 
Uh, be alert to what is happening. All right. And you see it in verses 5, 9, 23, 33, 35, 37 in Mark 13. So this idea of staying awoke, staying alert to what's going on around you. And Jesus is telling us over and over again to do that spiritually. So we need to, uh, we need to understand what we need to be ready for. Now, as we go through this chapter, I, I need to warn you, it, it can get confusing at times. Um, Jesus is going to seem like he is talking about the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. And then other times he is going to seem like he is talking about uh, when he is going to return to earth in the second coming. So the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, that happened in 70 AD, you know, just a few decades after Jesus lived. And whereas, you know, of course, the second coming, we are all still waiting on it. And so you might wonder as you read, well, which one is he talking about? Is he talking about this or is he talking about that? Well, the answer is both. There is some debate about the details, but almost all biblical scholars agree Jesus is talking about the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem sometimes, and other times he is talking about the second coming. There are different views, but uh, many understand, and, and I believe that Jesus, uh, he's talking about predicting the fall of Jerusalem in, in some of the earlier verses, right up to about uh, verses 1 to 13, and then later on, verses 28 to 31. And then verses uh, 14 to 27, he's talking about the second coming. Now, there's a trick I learned to help tell the difference between which event Jesus is talking about. Uh, is it the destruction of the temple or is it the second coming? And that is to look for these or those. Uh, when you see the word these, like in verse 4 when it says, when these things happen, or in verse 8, these are the beginning of birth pains. Um, these are pointing to um, what will happen before the destruction of Jerusalem. And then... When Jesus says those, he's talking about in those days. He's talking about what's going to happen before his second coming. All right, so we see in verse 19, those will be days of distress. Verse 24, but in those days following that distress, you know, that's about what is going to happen before Jesus returns. So you can look for these and those to help you figure out which event Jesus is talking about. It does get a little confusing, but even so, the message is the same for both of these, and that is stay alert, watch out, be ready. Uh, so again, what are we supposed to stay woke? What are we supposed to be alert about? Well, as we pick up at the beginning of Mark 13, it says, As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings? Replied Jesus. Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. All right. Now, you have to imagine this scene. Uh, this is a model of the temple. If, again, it was destroyed in 70 AD, but it's described in very uh, intricate detail in the Bible, and so we know what it looked like. So this is a model of what the temple looked like, um, and it is magnificent. Um, years ago, Sarah and I, we went to Chicago on vacation. We saw the Willis Tower. It's better known as the Sears Tower. And 
when it was built, it's the tallest building in the world back then. It, and uh, it's still, it's so awe-inspiring to see. When you get there, you can't help but just stand there and look up and, and marvel at it. Now that is what it was like for these disciples. They were from small towns. And then they come to Jerusalem and they would see the scale and the scope of the temple. And you couldn't help but be impressed. To, to give you some idea, it took over 80 years for the temple to finally finish being built. It was started in 20 BC. It wasn't finished until 64 AD. So it's actually only fully complete for like six years before it's destroyed. And what this means is that the disciples and Jesus, as they were growing up, and they would make trips to Jerusalem, they would watch as year by year the temple was being constructed. And as they grew up, the temple grew as well. Every year looking more and more magnificent. The whole temple complex is huge, especially for the ancient world. It was 36 acres. To put it another way, it's one-fifth the total mass of the city of Jerusalem at the time. One-fifth the temple. The temple top was 90 feet higher than the temple mount. Biblical, that's nine stories, you know, biblical archaeology tells us some of the cornerstones of the temple mount weighed 50 tons. That's 100,000 pounds. They were huge. Josephus, a contemporary Jewish historian, says some of the stones were between 12 and 60 feet in length. The brilliance of the white walls, and they had this gold trim on the front in the morning, it was dazzling. Josephus writes this, The whole of the outer works of the temple was in the highest degree worthy of admiration. It was completely covered with gold plates which when the sun was shining down on them glittered so that they blinded the eyes of the beholders, not less than one when one gazes on the sun itself. So this temple is so high, so beautiful, the stones are so large, it's just bringing all to the disciples. And they're like, Jesus, check out these massive stones, check out these magnificent buildings. And Jesus says the last thing any of them would ever expect to hear. He says, you see all these magnificent buildings? They're all coming down. None of them are going to be standing. None of these stones are even going to be on top of each other. Now, I mean, imagine if someone had looked up at the two towers of the World Trade Center and predicted, you see these? They're going to fall before September 11, 2001. You know, people would have either thought, yeah, that person's crazy or that person seems shady. You know, but the disciples know Jesus. They know he's not crazy. They know he's not shady. But some of the things that he says are hard to understand, and this is one of them. They're like, what? How? So later, on the Mount of Olives, which is also known as Mount Olivet, um, I actually grew up going to Olivet Christian Church, which is named after this mountain. Um, later on the Mount of Olives, there are these two sets of brothers, Peter and Andrew, and James and John. They're there with Jesus, and they kind of ask him privately, Hey, Jesus, you know that thing you were talking about earlier with the temple and everything being destroyed? Um, when will that happen? And what are some signs going to be that that's going to happen? And Jesus answers them. 
He's talking about signs, about the destruction of Jerusalem, and then about the end times. He's prophesying about these two different events in one speech. And since he's sitting on Mount Olivet, this later becomes known as the Olivet Discourse. Uh, it's one of the most famous times of teaching of Jesus, maybe the second most famous rapture, the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and again, over and over again in his answer to him, he's going to go back to this message of uh, stay alert, stay woke, you know, be on guard, keep watch. It's all basically the same warning. Uh, if you picture a guard on duty looking around, they would need to be on guard. They would need to keep watch. They would need to stay alert, awake and alert to what's going on. They have to do all of these things to do their job. You know, it's the same here. Uh, right from the beginning of this answer, we're going to see uh, the first thing that we're supposed to stay awake, uh, stay woke about. First of all, we need to stay woke because false teaching and false messiahs will be prevalent. In verse 5, Jesus says, don't be deceived. He says, see to it that no one misleads you. Many will come in my name saying, I am he and will mislead many. Now, ever since the ascension of Jesus, people have been claiming to be Jesus. So this was true before the destruction of the temple and is still true today. Ann Lee, uh, founder of the Shakers, uh, she said she was Christ incarnate in female form. The followers of Sun Moon of the Unification Church, they believed that he was Jesus. And Jim Jones claimed to be Jesus, reincarnated. Um, and plenty of others that have claimed to be Jesus, some of the more famous, Marshall Applewhite, Charles Manson, Jose Luis de Jesus Miranda, David Koresh. Many of these false messiahs, they have had great influence over lots and lots of people. Uh, it's unclear how many exactly are in the Unification Church. Records vary from 250,000 all the way up to 3 million. Uh, the World Mission Society uh, claims it has 1.7 million members. Jose Luis de Jesus Miranda says he has 2 million. There is a sad truth. Uh, millions of people, they, they think they are following Jesus, but they are following uh, a wolf in the Lamb of God's clothing, if you will. Uh, they, they have been deceived by a false messiah. It has led them away from the biblical truth about the true God that loves them. And, and besides drawing their followers away from Christ and into spiritual death, these false messiahs, these false Christs, also lead their followers oftentimes to physical death. Marshall Applewhite convinced 39 members of his Heaven's Gate cult to kill themselves. Almost 80 Branch Davidians died in David Koresh's uh, fight with federal agents. Jim Jones had 920 of his followers drink poison. God is going to judge these false teachers. Second Peter 2.1 says, There will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. So in Mark 13, 21 and 22, Jesus says, If anyone says to you, Behold, here is the Christ, or behold, he's there, do not believe him. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show signs and wonders in order to lead astray, if possible, the elect. Jesus is warning us to stay woke to the dangers of false messiahs that will come in his name. 
They're going to pretend to be Jesus or pretend to be representatives of Jesus, but they're going to be deceivers bringing destruction on themselves and on their followers. So the first thing we need to stay woke about is false teaching, false messiahs. Second thing we need to stay woke about is we need to stay woke and understand that not everything that's bad that happens means that it is the end of the world. Jesus says in verses 7 and 8, Listen, when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be frightened. These things must take place, but that is not yet the end. For nation will rise up against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will also be famines. These things are merely the beginning of birth things. Things such as wars, famines, earthquakes, they have certainly been plentiful in our history. But that's the result of a fallen world. In effect, Jesus says, hey, these things are going to happen, but they're not going to signal the end. All right? It's, it's just birth pains. It's not like the labor's happening. All right? So I had a, a former student of mine recently. You know, he texted me with all the COVID-19 stuff, and he was like, hey, do you think this is the end? Like, this seems like some revelation stuff going on. Well, I said, you know, I don't know when the end is. Uh, nobody really does, but I'm ready when it comes. That, that's the important thing. But I do know this, like there was a Spanish flu pandemic 100 years ago, had some similar effects to what's going on right now. I know that during five years, the Black Plague killed one third of the population of Europe. People probably thought they were living in the end times then. So we shouldn't be so quick to say that it's the end times whenever there are bad things going on, be it a war, be it a... Uh, pandemic you know violence or disease doesn't equal end times Jesus says these are birth pains but we should we should be ready the truth is we don't know when the end will be Jesus said in Mark 13 32 but about that day or hour no one knows not even the angels in heaven nor the son but only the Father. So even Jesus didn't know exactly when the end was going to come. He knew events that were going to come before it, but not exactly when. No one knows except God the Father. Now there have been lots of different groups over the years that have been trying to guess when the end of the world is going to be. Many of you will remember back in 2011, there were thousands of billboards all over the place in America that were uh, proclaiming that the end of the world is going to happen May 21, 2011. Obviously, they were wrong. Since Jesus says no one knows the hour, when someone's like, no, but we cracked the code. Look, let me give you a brochure. You can know they're wrong. They did not crack a code. All right? We may not know... Um, the exact time that God's going to return but when people say they know the exact time they figured it out we can know they're wrong not everything means the end times are here but Jesus he does give us a sign to look for to know that that time is coming up so there's another thing we need to be woke about we need to be alert and aware of is that Jesus says in the last days persecution will get worse Jesus he says in verses 12 and 13 Brother will betray brother to death. Father, his child, and children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. 
you will be hated by all because of my name, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And then later on in verse 19, he says, For those days will be a time of tribulation such as not has not occurred since the beginning of creation, which God created until now, and never will. All right, so this is talking about before the second coming there, and Jesus is saying there's going to be great tribulation, hardship. In other words, uh, it's going to be persecution. Now, it's easy for us to read that in the Western church and to think, okay, so this hardship, this persecution is going to come. We'll be ready when it does come. And I believe it is going to get worse, but for many Christians around the world, that is a reality that is already here. Um, in Pakistan, as a Christian, I can be jailed by Muslim government officials. If I was a Christian in North Korea, um, I would be considered, uh, this is their quote, a hostile element to be eradicated. In Afghanistan, Christianity is not permitted to exist. If I was a Christian in Nigeria, I might be beheaded by ISIS. If I came from a Hindu family in India, I could be rejected and martyred for choosing Jesus. In China, um, I would only be allowed to practice Christianity in a communist-sponsored church that says the government is over God, or I would be persecuted. Uh, tens of thousands of churches have been shut down, pastors arrested for any church not under communist control, just since 2012. In the Sudan, I might be killed or literally enslaved by a uh, militant Muslim army. In six years, there have been more than 1.3 million Christians killed in this African nation. In Indonesia, I might be given a choice by Muslims, convert to Islam or die. I might have my church bombed in a worship service. We sometimes think of persecution and martyrs as something that happened to the early church. You know, Rome would crucify Christians. They would feed them to the lions. But more Christians were actually martyred in the 20th century than in all of the previous 19 centuries combined. Think about that. This is the age of the martyrs. Open Doors, it's a uh, persecution watchdog group. They report there are over 260 million Christians living in areas of high persecution. That is one in every eight believers worldwide. The Christian Post reports nearly one million Christians were martyred for their faith in the last decade. That's almost 100,000 Christians a year losing their life on earth for their faith. It doesn't even get reported 95% of the time unless it's just so graphic they can't help, they have to report it. And even then you'll see a very small article that says something about like there was these 15 Christians that were beheaded. You know, The persecution is here. Um, we cannot turn a blind eye to the reality of it. We must remain woke about it. Lastly, we need to stay woke to the truth that Jesus Christ is coming back for his people. Jesus says in verses 26 and 27, at that time people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. 
and he will gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heaven. When Jesus appears, says he will gather his elect, and that's the Christians that have put their faith and trust in him, he will gather them from the four winds. Uh, most people guess the four winds, that's representing north, south, east, west. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm going to gather the believers from every direction, from all over the ends of the earth. And Jesus, uh, he is he's talking about uh, how this is going to happen. Then he says, again, be ready, be alert. He ends this Olivet Discourse saying uh, a short parable about a master who leaves his house and that the servants need to be ready for him to return. And then he ends by saying in verse 37, What I say to you, I say to all, be on the alert. He says, What I say to you, I say to all. That includes us. We need to be on the alert. We need to stay alert. We need to stay awake to what is going on. We need to stay woke. We know that Jesus Christ is returning. We need to be ready. This idea of keeping watch and being ready what I'm not saying is this idea of, so stop what you're doing and just stare at the sky till Jesus returns. Um, this isn't an idea of like, man, you need to read up in Revelation and try to match up everything going on with an event in Revelation. And staying woke, keeping watch, being ready, that's about being focused on God as we live for him and keeping hope. That's what it's about. Be focused on God as you live for him and keep hope. We are not left to our imaginations when it comes to knowing about what our future holds, to knowing what our eternity holds. We have hope. The Bible says a lot of things about the future. They're all marked by one event, which is the return of Jesus Christ. We need to stay alert to the reality of Jesus Christ's return and let it give us hope because we know that he is bringing renewal and restoration to this world. Scripture says, but according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. That's 2 Peter 3.13. And uh, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth have passed away. That's Revelation 21.1. God is going to cleanse things. He's going to restore things. He's going to make all things new. And so we need to always stay woke to that truth because that truth gives us hope. Knowing that Jesus Christ is going to return. Knowing that whenever we look at the world and we see this trajectory going like this, it's not like this forever. Christ will return and then it's up here. We have that hope through Jesus. Now as we come to our time of invitation, we know that Jesus came to earth to give his life so that everyone who would accept his gift of grace could live for eternity through him. That's his gift at the cost of his life for all who would accept it. Eternity and grace is made possible through a God that loves us more than we can imagine. It's available to everyone through Jesus Christ. All you have to do is accept his gift. Accept him as Lord and Savior. And if you need to do that today, if you need to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior for the forgiveness of your sins, for the gift of eternal life, uh, please come talk to me. I'd love to talk with you more about that. 
I invite you to come and see me as we stand together right now and as we sing our closing song.